Seeking mental health care can be overwhelming and even scary, but it doesn't have to be. I'm Dr. Josephine McNary, and I'm committed to making this process easier for you. Each week, my expert guest and I unravel a different form of therapeutic intervention in order to bring comfort and understanding and to help you get back to your true self. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Mind Stories. Today, I'm pleased to have on as our guest, Dr. Emily Hu. Dr. Hu is a licensed clinical psychologist at Thrive Psychology Group in Los Angeles, who specializes in treating trauma and addiction. Her work encompasses themes of resilience, strength, social support, and finding an unapologetically living one's genuine true self. Today, we focus on trauma. We talk about four specific therapeutic modalities used to treat trauma, which include cognitive reprocessing therapy, prolonged exposure, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR, and acceptance and commitment therapy. We also touch on the connection between trauma and addiction. Welcome, Dr. Hu. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So I'm excited to have you on today because you are someone who specializes in treating trauma and you know a lot about the different types of modalities of treatment that you can use to treat trauma. And so I want you to tell us about it. I think it's important to learn about the various ways that you can approach the treatment of trauma. Yeah, that's definitely a topic I always feel really excited to talk about. I'm wondering if there's any particular place that you'd like me to start. Well, I know there's a few different specialties you have. So there's something called CPT, there's something Mm -hmm. called PE or prolonged exposure, there's EMDR, and I know that you also had mentioned you use ACT for for trauma. So I'm wondering if we could, I mean, it's a long question, but kind of to go through those different types of treatments and what they might look like in different cases and the similarities and differences between them. Absolutely. I might actually answer your last question first, which is the similarities amongst all of these trauma therapies. There's so many different treatments for trauma out there, which is actually really fortunate when you think about how many people out there really could benefit from trauma treatment in all of its forms. I think that for the specific treatment modalities that I use, thematically, if you look at all of them, they all kind of come at trauma in a similar way in terms of trying to make it so that a client's relationship with their trauma is healed in some way, shape, or form, whether that's their relationship with the memory of the trauma being really, really scary, slowly but surely healing that, whether that's their relationship with various thoughts, beliefs, or feelings related to the trauma, healing their relationship with that, or whether it's about kind of healing their general functioning following a trauma. I think a lot of these therapies, they all come from the same place, which is to slowly but surely get each person back to being able to function okay in everyday life, not necessarily erasing the memory of what happened, because that's impossible, but being able to help people move on with the memory of the trauma and carry it as part of their history, but not necessarily have it actively interfering with their lives anymore, if that makes sense. Right. And I I think maybe we should rewind a little bit. Okay. What is trauma? That is such a good question. And I feel like you can ask a hundred different people and you'll get a hundred different answers. For me, what I consider to be a trauma is something that causes some sort of emotional or mental injury. It doesn't have to be anything that we can actually see. It doesn't have to be anything that, you know, you can have treated at the doctor's office or something like that. But it is something that is big enough and impactful enough that it shakes our world, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
And oftentimes it also ends up shaking the foundations of who we believe we are, who we believe other people are, how we believe the world is as a whole. A trauma is something that comes in usually unexpectedly into our lives and basically shakes up all of our beliefs at that point. Sometimes what happens is everything gets kind of shaken up and then it settles down okay once again over time. Don't need any treatment or anything. I always think it's really important to consider resilience. So sometimes you don't need any treatment or support or anything. Things just settle okay. But sometimes they don't quite and they just stay kind of shaken. There's a storm kind of going on. And sometimes it can be really helpful to sit down with a therapist or somebody like that who's trained and can kind of help you settle things again appropriately. Got it. And also this idea that someone might be exposed to the same traumatic experience, but maybe not consider it trauma. And one person may not consider that a trauma. Yes, absolutely. And so there are some things that I feel like many people would objectively say would be a trauma. Like for instance, our active duty service members who go to out into war theater and go in and get caught in combat situations. I think a lot of people would say like, oh, that is definitely a trauma, but there, it really kind of depends even then on your perspective of it. If you see it as something that shakes your world, if you see it as something that really kind of threatens your idea of yourself or of other people or of the world in general, yes, it's traumatic. But I have definitely met some active duty service members and veterans when I was working with that population who were like, yeah, I was in all of these things and I'm okay. It was just part of the job. So it really kind of depends on your perspective and your well of resilience. I think how you respond to certain events that could potentially be traumatic anyway. Okay. So let's think about the various forms of trauma treatment. So I understand, I like your description of kind of what the goal is and it could Mm -hmm. look different for different people. Yeah, absolutely. And I can go ahead and run through some of the specific modalities that I do just kind of for everybody's information. So I will preface this by saying I am not trained in every single trauma treatment out there because if I tried to do that, I would be in training for the rest of my life. But I am trained in four really good modalities that have been shown to be really effective for the treatment of trauma and PTSD. The first modality is something called cognitive processing therapy or CPT for short. And in a nutshell, you can think of this as a type of treatment that specifically identifies and examines the really negative and potentially debilitating thoughts and beliefs about ourselves, about other people, and about the world that can arise from experiencing a traumatic event. For instance, one of the most common things that happens when people experience a trauma is they start to blame themselves for it. Even if objectively we can look as third parties and be like, they had no, no fault in it whatsoever. That's just the way our brains work sometimes. And we end up with things like it was my fault, or I should have done this, or I shouldn't have done that, et cetera, et cetera. CPT is really, really good about building and training clients in a process that helps them to identify those problematic thoughts and beliefs and to slowly but surely start to challenge them and start to change them into beliefs that are more balanced and are healthier. And in so doing, kind of release people from the debilitation and the avoidance and the struggle of believing these really, really negative things about themselves. So that's CPT. Another modality I'm trained in is something called PE or prolonged exposure. Now, this is exactly what it sounds like. It's this idea that after people experience trauma, oftentimes they become really afraid of anything that has to do with a traumatic event. We're talking triggers, we're talking certain situations, people, things that might remind them of what happened. Even the memory itself of the trauma is something just really, really scary. And so what happens for a lot of people, especially with PTSD, is they end up kind of 
because they're, they're always trying to avoid these triggers, or they're always trying to avoid thinking about the trauma, feeling anything related to the trauma, et cetera, et cetera, they end up sort of slowly but surely constricting their lives over time where, you know, we can't go to this place. We can't be with these people. We can't do this particular activity. Can't think about this trauma, et cetera, et cetera. And they end up just living really, really small, restricted lives. So prolonged exposure, what it's designed to do is it very systematically and in a very safe and supportive therapeutic environment encourages the person to revisit the memory of the trauma over and over and over. And just like if you're sitting at home or in your office and there's loud construction noise going on in the background, initially it's really annoying. Initially you can't stop thinking about it. It's the most annoying thing in the world. But if you expose over time again and again and again, eventually you tune it out. Eventually it does not hit you nearly as hard. We try to do the same thing with the memory of the trauma. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously we systematically get the person slowly but surely out there getting exposed to some of these situations they might have been avoiding, activities they might have been avoiding, just trying to get them their lives back, essentially. And then another modality that I do that I really, really love is something called eye movement desensitization and reprocessing, or EMDR for short. This is a therapy that's really caught on in like the last couple of decades. It's really, really been out there. You've probably heard it you know, being talked about by celebrities and in magazines and stuff like various media, stuff like that. And the idea behind EMDR is that when we experience a traumatic event, our memory of that event gets stored in a really messy way. It gets stored with the messy feelings, the messy thoughts and beliefs, the messy body sensations that have to do with the trauma. And so every time we're reminded of the trauma, it's like that memory network, that messy network reactivates with all that mess. And all those feelings come back out, all those thoughts and beliefs, all those physical sensations, they just come rolling back out uncontrolled. And what EMDR does is it uses something called bilateral stimulation, which is just a fancy word of saying we activate and turn on both sides of your brain alternating back and forth. We have you do that, and then we take you through the traumatic memory network. And when we have you do the bilateral stimulation, it turns on your brain's natural processing ability, basically. Mm -hmm. And as it goes through this memory network, it just starts to kind of clean and organize is what I use. And in doing so, it kind of cleans and organizes the messy thoughts, the messy feelings, the messy sensations, so that over time, if the memory network is triggered or activated again, it comes online, but it doesn't come with all of that mess. And things become a lot easier to manage in present time anyway. Mm-hmm. And finally, I swear I'm almost done. Finally, I actually use another type of therapy. It's called acceptance and commitment therapy, ACT or ACT for short. This was initially developed as a treatment for depression, but it's actually been extrapolated. We can use it for PTSD and trauma. And the basis behind ACT is really helping people orient and anchor themselves in the present moment in what they can control instead of getting lost and anxious in what they can't, which is the past and the future. And so ACT uses a lot of mindfulness practice, which is a lot of the meditation to keep you in the present moment, helping you notice your thoughts, feelings, and current experiences. And it uses something called cognitive diffusion, which is just a fancy word for saying, we try to separate you from those thoughts and feelings, where if you have them, they don't necessarily have to be a part of you. They don't have to impact you. They can just be things that are happening to you in this moment, and they'll change in the next moment. 
And oftentimes, if we're able to get that feeling of separation for folks between themselves and traumatic memories or themselves and traumatic feelings and thoughts, then we free people up to really go about their lives and start living their values and really start taking the trauma with them, but not in any sort of problematic holding them back way, sort of carrying it like luggage, I guess, and then choosing whether or not to open that suitcase at various times. Interesting. Okay. Well, that was a very impressive summary of four different complicated treatment modalities. So I've been very impressed. So great. Here's my question. How do you decide what to use? That is such a good question. And this is a conversation that I have with a lot of clients because oftentimes when they first come in, they're really thinking like, I don't know what I'm ready for. I don't know anything about these modalities. Like you're the one who's an expert in trauma. Please tell me like what's going to be most appropriate. And I think usually I try to go off of a couple of different factors that I'm considering. The first one that I consider is my individual client's readiness. And what I mean by that is I have a lot of clients who will come in and say, yeah, I'm totally ready to tackle this trauma. And then we start talking about it and they're like, oh, actually no, I'm not ready at all. And, you know, there's nothing at all wrong with that because we are talking about, for many people, the scariest experience they've ever had in their lives. Sometimes you want to be ready. Sometimes you feel like you should be ready. And the truth is that you're not. And that's okay. I think in that case, a lot of the work that I do is oftentimes around coping skills and around helping people prepare to get to that point of readiness. Or if they're not entirely ready to address the traumatic event or address the details of the memory or anything like that immediately, sometimes I can start with the treatment modalities that don't include an exposure component. So in cases like this, I would consider ACT, for instance, helping you gain a little bit of space between yourself and these memories or yourself and these thoughts. Or I might consider EMDR because you can go through the traumatic memory network and clean and process without talking about the trauma very much at all, um, which I think is what makes EMDR really appealing for a lot of people. So their amount of readiness, I think, is, is really, really important. Another thing I also consider is the client's individual preference when it comes to how structure, how much structure they want in their therapy. Some people find a lot of comfort in structure and predictability. They want to say, you know, we're in session one. I want to know exactly what we're going to do. I want a worksheet to work on in between sessions. I want, you know, assignments. I want like ways to practice this. I like the reassurance of knowing that I'm doing active work. And if that's the case, I might do something like CPT, which has a lot of worksheets. It's really well structured. Like we're going to do this step in session one. We're going to do this step in session two. I think it's really comforting for a lot of people. But then I have other folks who are like, you know, I I don't do well with that. That makes me feel restricted. That makes me feel like I'm pushing myself too hard. That triggers me sometimes, things like that. In which case I might go with a more unstructured therapy such as EMDR, for instance. And then the final thing that I really try to consider, because I think that this is something that's not talked about a lot or like not a lot of people know this in association with trauma, is whether or not people actually have a clear memory of what happened. If we're talking about a trauma that happened in childhood, or if we're talking about something that is often associated with dissociation, like stepping back and getting mental distance from the trauma, you know, coping however you can, like for instance, frequently happens with sexual assault. Then in that case, probably can't do a therapy that is specifically memory-based 
such as prolonged exposure. That's much, much harder. In that particular case, I might go with ACT, for instance, or I might even go with cognitive processing therapy without any sort of exposure component or anything like that. I think at the end of the day, the nice thing about being trained in so many different modalities and being just really adaptive and flexible as a provider in general is that I can listen to each one of my clients and whatever they tell me in terms of readiness, in terms of preparedness, in terms of level of depth with the traumatic memory, I can usually find something that works. But I think the most important thing is to communicate all of that really clearly to your provider, because you definitely want them to be choosing the modality that is going to be best for you and your type of trauma and your relationship to the traumatic memory. Right. And the other thing I was thinking about is, I guess my question is, you know, when we first started talking about trauma and about why someone would want to seek treatment for trauma. Does it ever change over time, the client's goal in terms of their relationship to the trauma? You know, I think that it does. I think oftentimes what I find happens for a lot of my clients is I have a lot of people who come in and it's not like they're saying, I want to forget about what happened because we very clearly can say from the very get-go, there's no way you're forgetting this trauma. That's why it's traumatic. It was so big that you can't forget it. But I think a lot of people, they initially come in just basically saying, I want to act like I've forgotten this trauma and I want to act like, like this trauma never happened or anything like that. And I usually say, that's a fine goal, except I don't actually know if that's realistic. Because short of being able to erase that trauma from your memory, it has happened. It is in your history. And so what I find happens very frequently in my work with people is as we progress, we kind of move from, I want to act like this trauma never happened to, I want to honor the fact that this trauma is a part of my memory. I want to learn from it. I want to grow from it. And I want to become the person that I am as a result of this trauma and like this person. And be able to, for instance, experience triggers, experience memories, other things like that. And instead of having it just wreck me and put me down for the count for a week to a month, et cetera, et cetera, instead get to the point where I can be like, ah, okay, that was uncomfortable. And then let's keep on going with my life. At that point, I will be able to tell that I have healed from this trauma as much as I can. And what's the time commitment that someone who is maybe considering going into trauma treatment, every case is so different, but what are you looking at in terms of time? I think that the, it may sound like a cop-out, but the short answer is it depends. The long answer is, I think that it really depends not just on each individual person, but it depends on what trauma you're looking to work on. For instance, I have some people who come in, they've got one single trauma. It maybe it happened, you know, three months ago, bad car accident or something like that. I'm like, no problem. Let's do some EMDR. Let's do some CPT. Let's do, you know, whatever it happens to be. We can knock it out probably in three months or less if I see that person once, once a week. And that's like really how a lot of these therapies are structured. They're designed to be shorter term in that way. But it gets a lot more complicated if, for instance, someone is coming in and they're telling me about a really, really bad trauma, like a sexual assault or something like that that happened when they were 16 and, you know, they're, they're adult, they're 30, 40, 50 now. And there's been all this time for things to get tingled and for them to spend time with the memory and, you know, all these things, then we may end up spending the longer time. 
And then there are people who come in and they've had traumas or stressful events that have taken place over and over for a prolonged period of time. Some of the folks that I used to treat in the Navy would have, you know, just years and years of combat trauma. Or you're going to have somebody with, uh, you know, really long duration childhood abuse, neglect, other things like that, domestic violence, abusive relationships, et cetera, et cetera. And times like that, it's not as simple as being like, okay, 12 sessions, we're done. It's really about let's pick the biggest, most significant, severe trauma. Let's start with that. Let's really try to treat the triggers and treat the symptoms. And after that, maybe we move on to something else. And maybe we move on to something else after that. Slowly but surely healing bit by bit. We're really trying to heal the whole person in this case. And sometimes I can take a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely had people come in and finish their treatment in like a month to two months. I've had people with me who have been in treatment with me for a year, a couple of years, something like that. And I would assume you would say that there's a benefit to getting treatment sooner than later. I would say so. Yes. Now, one thing that I would be cautious of just to kind of throw it out there for your listeners is a lot of people think that immediately after a trauma is the best time to get treatment. So, you know, you get in that car accident, right? And you're like, okay, well, the next week I'm not feeling very good. I definitely need to get into therapy right now. If I don't, I'm going to just end up a mess. I'm here to tell you that the research doesn't support that. Yes, it's nice to get extra support. But as I mentioned before, there is such a thing as resilience and there is such a thing as post-traumatic growth, which means that for the actually the majority of people out there who experience a trauma, at least people who are well-resourced, have good social support, have good coping skills, stuff like that, you can experience a trauma and you can probably expect to recover perfectly fine without any additional help. I would say, though, that for people who experience trauma and, I don't know, one or two months after it happens, you find that you're still experiencing really strong symptoms. You know, you're waking up with nightmares, flashbacks, you're triggered by various things. You're having those feelings in your body that don't go away. You're having really bad emotions or really negative thoughts about yourself or things like that. At that time, I would say it's really helpful to get in to see a therapist if you can. Because at that point, before they're solidified and like before they've really kind of drilled down really deep into you, it's really nice to have somebody kind of take a trowel and start like taking things out and cleaning things out and really kind of helping you move on from there. So I wouldn't say that there's a statute of limitations when it comes to these sorts of things. But in this particular case, too early, not so great. But if it's still sticking around after a couple of months, it might be helpful at that point. Yeah. The other thing that, I mean, I know you do work with addiction as well. Yes, correct. And I am curious to hear your thoughts about the connectedness between trauma and addiction and kind of how you work with that. Absolutely. So I think that a lot of people, when they think of trauma and they think of addictions, they think of them as two separate things. But I think a lot of times it's really helpful to remember that these two things can be really, really closely related. And honestly, kind of correlation doesn't mean causation. It can kind of go in either direction. I have definitely worked with people who, because they experience a traumatic event, they have trouble coping with their feelings. They all drink it away or they'll use substances or they use sex or other addictive behaviors to just kind of feel better in general. But I have also had people go the other direction, where if you are engaged in addictive behaviors, whether that's substances or otherwise, puts you in riskier situations, and then you're more likely to experience trauma, for instance. So 
I think that they're really, really closely related. What I would say is when I'm treating trauma and addiction simultaneously, I really try to find the thematic similarity underlying both. And usually what I find is two things kind of come up. One is shame and the other is disconnect. So if you think about the experience of a trauma, a traumatic event can be one of the most shameful experiences that someone has, or at least it's an experience that results in heavy feelings of shame, whether or not they're true. And then also with a trauma, usually traumas involve other people, sometimes people that you thought that you could trust, et cetera, et cetera, and oftentimes leads to feelings, very, very strong feelings of disconnect. With addictions, we all know that addiction goes hand in hand with shame, period. You just have to look at like the media, the way that addiction is portrayed in our general society to know that we just, we just paint shame all over addiction. So I don't even need to go there, I don't think. But, and addiction is also really, really closely tied to disconnect. There's actually a really cool study that looked at all the different triggers that cause people to relapse in recovery. And the number one trigger was some sort of negative interaction with somebody close to them. So when they felt that sense of disconnect, that was the number one trigger to actually go back to their substances. So when I'm working with somebody who is struggling with both trauma recovery and addictions, Generally, what I try to do is I try to start having some really, really open and vulnerable conversations about shame. And I also really try to find ways where I can encourage connection again with the people close to them, with their sense of purpose, with their direction in life, with their hobbies and stuff like that to help them feel more like a whole person and help them feel more resourced, more grounded and able to cope with whatever comes that way, that comes their way, whether that's trauma related symptoms or whether that's addiction cravings or things like that. Okay. I love your amazing answer. (laughs) I just love hearing kind of how you approach these things. You know, I think because I want to make sure that we don't, you know, we are mindful of the time. No problem. Um, I will make sure that your information is on the episode description. And I know you practice in the Los Angeles area. For a listener who maybe isn't in California, who maybe is somewhere where they don't have a lot of options in terms of thinking about therapy. Yeah. Are there online resources, was my first question, or other resources that someone can learn about this? Or just in general, if someone's looking for a trauma therapist, how do you even go about doing that? That is such a good question. One of the things that I'll hop on my soapbox for about 10 seconds, then I'll hop right back off. One of the things that like for me, I feel like really needs to change about our field as psychologists is the ease with which we can be accessed by the population. Because oftentimes when you're like, how do I find a therapist period? The answer is I have no idea. And so I think that generally what I recommend for people is to really start actually with organizations that are addressing the the issues that you're looking to work on. So for instance, if you're looking to work on trauma treatment in general, the International Society of Traumatic Stress Studies is, or ISTSS is a wonderful organization. They hold a huge annual conference on trauma and other things all kind of all over the world. They're always at the forefront of like the latest treatment, stuff like that. And they have a directory. And you can also look at other places specific to whatever modality you might be interested in. For instance, if you heard about EMDR, you want to try it, you can look up the EMDR Institute or EMDRIA, which is the EMDR International something something. I can't remember, but EMDRIA. 
And you can look on these various organizations to not only learn more about these specific modalities, but start looking through their directories and start looking because everybody that's kind of listed through those organizations has done basic training, is really well versed in these particular modalities, and at the very least, can give you an even better idea of what trauma is and the different theories behind it and stuff like that than just, you know, reading it on Wikipedia or something like that. Well, I'm going to for sure make sure that in addition to your website, I'm going to add those two resources because that sounds like a great resource for people interested in this type of treatment because it is confusing and it's hard to navigate. And one therapist that might work with somebody is not going to maybe work for somebody else. So it really just depends on individual need. Before we say goodbye, are there any parting words or anything that you'd like to leave the listener with? Hmm. You know, I think the only thing that I might want to emphasize that I just think not enough people are thinking about these days, especially in the times that we currently live in, because we're recording this in 2021, fresh off of 2020, is a lot of people are sitting at home right now struggling and they're struggling with sleep problems, they're struggling with low mood, low motivation, anxious for no reason, eating everything in the fridge, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like a lot of people right now are feeling really confused and don't really know why they're doing these things or at the very least feel like they're not handling it well or something like that, all the stressors that are going on. And I'm here to just remind everybody that technically we are all going through a collective global trauma right now. If you think about the threat of COVID-19, which is very, very real because we hear all the time about people dying because of it. And so I want to throw out there that if you're sitting at home and you're feeling some of these things and you're starting to get shameful or you're starting to beat yourself up or something like that, I'm here to tell you, you're going through a collective global trauma. You're allowed to feel this way. Please reach out to somebody for additional support if you need it. There's nothing at all wrong or shameful or bad. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Of course. Well, I I learned quite a bit about trauma therapy today and I hope the listener did too. So thanks for being on. Yeah, it's been my genuine pleasure. All right. Take care. Be well. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This has been Mind Stories with remote appointments in California and offices in downtown LA, Santa Monica, Hermosa Beach, Marina del Rey, Echo Park, and Santa Barbara. Cal Psychiatry specializes in medication management, mood and anxiety disorders, alternative therapies, women's mental health, and more to help you get back to your true self. Visit us at calpsychiatry.com. Thanks for listening to Mind Stories, and don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe.